Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relation Flicks Podcast. This is Dolphin Casper. I'm excited for my guest today. Uh, we were just having a conversation. I was trying to remember the first time we had met, but I, I couldn't place her. It, the way I the way I posed it to her was, it's just like you've always been around, and so that that's sort of how how I feel about her. Uh, we've worked together uh, a number of times, been at different events, co-facilitating, and uh, she's just a, a ray of goodness and joy and sunshine, and brings all sorts of goodness into the world through her work. So I'm ha- happy to welcome Krista Nova to the program. Uh, she is an intimacy coach, a relational somatic therapist, and a tantra facilitator. Welcome. Thank you, Dolphin. It's really a pleasure to be here with you and with the Relation Flicks vision and project. Yeah, yeah, it was sweet. I, you were the first. I don't think Steve had already done some recording, but you were the first uh, person that I recorded with. So that was a a really cool kind of milestone on my side. Um. You know, I thought for us to to start with what we were talking with just before the program was um, the the relational somatic therapist part of your work, and you were pointing out that the relational piece is actually really important. So, for those of us that know kind of what somatic work or somatic therapy is, uh, maybe say a little bit about that, and and what is unique about the kind of somatic therapy you do that is is relational in in its uh, in its context. Yeah, so somatic therapy in itself, it's really a way of working with the body and understanding that our body really holds holds everything from our life. And we can change history, but we can change the way the body holds it. And that's really the premise of the work. So coming into present time awareness with whatever's happening, sensation, feeling, and connecting that to what we're still holding that may have happened often from our childhood or other experiences in our life. The relational piece is really key because so much of what we experience in our life, a lot of our wounding happens in relationship. And that's why in the experience of relational somatic therapy that it really what happens in relationship is healed in relationship, whether that is in uh, with a therapist or in a one-on-one, in a group work, in a couple work with somebody. So this is really a key piece. But we have all of these little, you know, as we walk through life, we unravel all of these little parts of ourselves that maybe someone had said something to us at one point in our life, which might not seem like it would be so traumatic, but we held that and we began to believe that. And we created our core beliefs all around that. And then the way that we seek love in the world is based on what feels like it's still lacking from that place. So here we're able to go in and start to unravel those pieces so we can come back to our fullness and that the, really that innocence that we had as a child. Mm. You know, when we're children, we're just flowing and everything's moving and coming back, more back to that place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of people in different contexts. And, and one thing that is quite a common recurring theme, especially with people that have experienced a lot of difficulty or trauma, is there's this sense like they can't get at it. It's like maybe the memories aren't really available to them. So there's sort of this kind of glossy gray indescript sense of a whole chunk of their life that they can't really get at. Um, or they they have memories, but intellectually they can't make sense of it. They can't like untangle it with their mind. And then more and more and more over my time doing work, 
And uh, fortunately, the kind of science behind uh, the healing of trauma is that it's all really in the body. Uh, like uh, Bissell van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, I really appreciate the the kind of practical and uh, intuitive nature of using the body as a vehicle for healing. So could you say a little bit more about like how how could that look in a therapy session or a group group facilitated session? Like what does relational somatic therapy, what can it look and feel like? It can look and feel like many different things. It can be very creative. Like sometimes even in a session, it's like, well, I have, I'll have the intuition of, well, we'll maybe grab this prop from the room or this piece and work with this in relation to your body. Perhaps it's representing something or someone and just seeing what the body begins to unfold. So a lot of things can happen in that way where, you know, I, I'll say this isn't a formula. We don't know this is going to come from this recipe. Let's try it out and let's see. And so often the body is just ready for something to come out in that way. So we can really work with what is being held in that way. And in group work, we can also work in that way, but with, with more people um, working together and more just happening when we're in relation to other people. Those pieces start to come up and then we're able to tune into them as well in the way of sensation and feeling and noticing and when we can begin to bring our awareness and our voice to that, even with that, things are beginning to shift. Mm. And and through even touch, like even just being grounded in something and starting to regulate the nervous system and experience neuroplasticity and all of these pieces that can then shift what's happening inside. So we will then experience something that has been happening and our new experience of it will come. Mm. And it won't have that same charge for us. Right. So, so like I hear you talking about uh, working with it in a way where we use these kind of, uh, they're almost like talismans. They're like representative, meaning representatives of how things operate in us. And by using them, we can, you know, what I think about it is like we put ourselves more fully in the state that we were in when we were little, when the initial trauma occurred or when the chronic trauma was, was a, unfolding we can kind of more tangibly put ourselves there, which which is where we can recontextualize the experience. Mm-hmm. And then in that, like the nervous system starts to function differently. So yeah, I can totally relate to that that approach. And I love that you're someone who who operates through intuition. You know, I, I think uh, not everyone is able to, but people who are good at this kind of work, uh, they're, like I've just watched so many people who have this incredible capacity to just know what the moment is calling for and and and, and if we're too read like if we read the book and we know that the answer is x we're going to miss the intuitive opportunity to really address something that's that's being called for in the moment so yeah i I totally appreciate that approach for you you know as you've come into doing this work more and more and, and and it's something you've done for quite some time now um I'm curious about the the journey before you came to the work. Like I'm always curious about what what brings people to doing this kind of work with others. So, you know, are there any stories or any memories that you have around I think A, like what inspired you to do it, but was there a moment when you realized this is what you wanted to do? So those are two different questions and you can jump into either one. Uh we can start with one. Um Well, I suppose I had already started on, like with Tantra specifically, I had started on my healing journey. 
And I had done some um, quite in-depth study, years of study of energy and consciousness and all of these things. And so I was motivated already to go into the healing realms. And that was already a bit of my path. And then with Tantra, it was actually that the teacher I had at the time then told me, okay, it's time for you to start teaching. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't for myself, it wasn't a conscious choice. Like, this is what I want to do. It's like, now it's time for you to do this and bring this. And eventually it felt like, okay, now it's time to, for me to return to my homeland and bring this here. And so it was really very much for me a natural process. It wasn't really a choice. It was just like, okay, like, I mean, I could choose to do it or not to do it, but that's what life was offering me and asking of me. So I felt in service to that. And the experiences I had uh, when I was younger definitely led me to be really curious about relational experiences. So obviously, early childhood trauma that um, I had experienced and not, you know, having the support that I needed in the way I did got me curious because it led me then to a relationship in my 20s that was, um, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty um, dysfunctional kind of relationship because I was just repeating what I'd experienced um, in this quest for love as a child. So early on, I then like was determined that now I can, now I know what love is, now I can love deeply, but yet I was still kind of um, not, not on the mark with that and not having the guidance I needed to learn yet what was happening. So I was a bit on my journey, but that relationship taught me that it was time to begin to really seek, seek, you know, seek love in a deeper way and to find out what was protecting me from that and how I could how I could do that as well as um, engage in my spiritual path and really find that those two are woven, that that is really the great teaching of relationship is like the university of life. So if I could go deeply into that. And I know that when it's happening, especially our initial relationships, we don't see that the, the, the dots don't connect for us. We're not thinking, oh, like this person's like my dad or this person's like my mom or this this is totally reminding me of this trauma that I experienced when I was little. In retrospect, is there anything you could say about that first relationship that, that was really challenging and traumatic? Like what brought you two together? What was it like to kind of make the choice to to connect? You know, I'm, I'm always curious about the nuances of of how those patterns run in us and in, in some ways run us. So do you have any recollection like in, in retrospect around that? Um, in retrospect, which I wasn't aware of whatsoever at the time, is that we were brought together definitely by our traumatic patterns and that, um, you know, eventually I went into a caregiving role a bit with him. And so that was very much relating to my earlier life where I was with living with my dad and um, when he didn't have a partner in his life, so I was a bit in that role of of caretaking with him. And so, of course, I went into that. Um, so we were brought together by our trauma, but we were brought together also by passion. We were both lions, you know, so we had a lot of this aliveness and, you know, a, a love of a similar culture. We were both really in, into the same culture at that time. It was all and, of the things that brought us together. And what would you say, you know, for people that are a, a somewhere along the spectrum of like, totally unconscious playing out old patterns and then people who are starting to tune in and go oh wait a second like what came before is 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 actually influencing what's happening to people who are really starting to gain agency and ability to kind of make conscious choices 
Um, are there any pieces that you've learned along the way that you think would be helpful that people could, yeah, just how do you, if you have a past with, with wounds that are not fully resolved, what do we do? Well, what do we do to make sure that we're a choosing great partners and once we're in a relationship and things get hard, which they always will, how do we navigate that well? What are, what are your thoughts on those things? I think the two things that really stand out would be boundaries and needs. So if you can get, you know, for example, in that first relationship, I really wasn't having strong boundaries and I would, or I would think I would make one, but again, it's broken. And so I wasn't learning within myself how to hold that and how to have a limit and how to care for myself first. So those boundaries will make all the difference in a relationship, no matter what, what stage you are, we always need that boundary. And then understanding your core needs and the core needs of your partner because that's going to make a difference. Something can seem irrelevant to someone, but based on what you've lived as a child, this this little piece just needs to be recognized. And if, if that can be honored and respected and, and spoken about together, that will also bring you quite, quite far along to have those needs met. Yeah, and I hear you in that first piece in particular, you know, the boundaries where if you set a boundary and you mean it and the person crosses the boundary, there's not this kind of endless cycle of making excuses for your partner. You just say, hey, this is a boundary. It's important. Are you ready to honor it? And and if they demonstrate through word or action that they're not, it's like, thank you, goodbye, and you move on. But But people don't easily, a lot of people don't easily do that. So mm-hmm. maybe you could speak a little bit about like what what's going on for someone where the relationship isn't healthy or nourishing, but they have trouble identifying it in some cases. And even if they do identify it, they have trouble leaving. So what would you say to that dynamic? That dynamic is this desperate need of all humans to be loved. And so really they they don't leave because they believe that that they are loved in that even when those lines are being crossed. They really aren't familiar yet with with the self-love piece and taking care of yourself. So they've already learned that, that, you know, perhaps in their childhood, those boundaries, again, they weren't there, right? So if you don't learn that at some stage in your life, you don't, you don't know how to hold them, then you, you can't have a container where you're going to be safe and you're going to be honored in the way that you need. Yeah. And, and I think what I hear you saying also is that if we're not grounded in our own sense of worth, then then we will, you know, on some level, we'll put up with less than we deserve, with less than what love is, because it, like it's probably reflects what we experienced when we were little. And the alternative doesn't feel like a real option. Like the the agony and anguish of being on our own for some people is so staggering that that they will literally choose abuse over being alone. And and that's that's a tough one, and that's definitely there's nothing of, of like finger wagging or, or or shaming, but just to recognize that for some people, being alone is so uncomfortable that they will choose unhealthy relationships as a substitute, and mm-hmm. and then a kind of compensation for the love that they want, but they, maybe they don't know how to get yet. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens, and they don't know how to get it, and they don't often even know what it is, mm-hmm. because I'll see that in. Um, in my work often is that people are coming and then it's it's like they'd what you're saying is they'd rather have this than nothing right so it's it's better to have you know a cup 
a little bit full than an empty cup and not understanding, well, if you fill your own cup, then you're going to be okay. And that's how you'll find your matching cup. <laughs> yeah. And then on the other side, there's the dynamic where, you know, if if someone's consistently experienced poor treatment from people that are, you know, meant to love them, and then someone loves them, that can actually have them running for the door. So like there's a lot of there's, there's a there's a lot of funny stuff we do, right? Human beings, we're just funny, silly creatures. Um is there anything you could say about like I I I I've seen that a lot, but is there anything you could say about that dynamic where we're so we have this experience of being love starved and we desperately want a relationship. But if our blueprint is dysfunction and then someone shows up and they're solid and they're consistent and they're loving and they really see the best in us, for some people it's like they like makes their skin crawl and they have to run. So yeah, what's going on there? Well, that can definitely be terrifying for some people, that idea of being loved, because if you don't have that base of trust, then you're going to have this protector inside of you that's going to tell you to run. Right, there's going to be that protector inside of you that ideally you made some agreement along the way and they're trying to keep you safe, right? They think that they're helping you out, but they're really keeping you from the places that you'll be nourished and grow because they're afraid that you are going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, depending what's happened in our life, love can equal pain. Mm -hmm. right? If you love me, you want to hurt me, really, like mm -hmm. depending what's happened. So, oh, okay, I've I've come this far. I thought I thought I would do it this time and you're freaking me out and I'm out of here, right. right? And they run and then typically we'll realize after, but it's a vicious cycle until we can stop and get in touch with that part of ourselves and see see how we can work together. Yeah, yeah, that's a lovely way to describe it. I'm just seeing how there's a kind of implicit recognition that, oh, this is real and that will actually require me to be more vulnerable than I've ever been. And in, in that level of vulnerability, I'll actually be more at risk of being hurt. Like in, in those deeper ways, maybe there's the surface hurt of like yelling and screaming and relationships that aren't super functional. But, you know, if we really open up and then it doesn't work out, like that's a different kind of pain. So, yeah, I can just sort of see where people might side with with uh, with a, a relationship that's not as whole and healthy because the real relationship calls on more intimacy and more vulnerability and in some ways more risk. Mm -hmm. And I think they're as well convinced it's not going to work out. Right. Not even it might not work out. It might not work out. They haven't yet received the message that it can. Yeah. They can't trust it yet. Yeah. yeah. So so then then the vulnerability, the opening up is it doesn't make any sense because you, you know what it puts you at risk of and you're convinced that that's what's going to happen. So why bother? But the interesting thing is, you know, I keep pushing back a little bit, but that's not how it feels. You know, like I've been in a relationship with someone that was just, I I tried to make it work with, with different relationships and, and felt like I was the one trying to bridge and trying to make it work. And, and then I was with someone who was totally willing to meet me, like totally willing to like whatever wouldn't they needed to do or be like they were, they were a yes. And I felt like, ah, uh, like I felt smothered. And so it just, I, I recognized that, that um, our experience of aversion to what could really be healthy love um, is sort of like a smokescreen. It's our own, it's our own kind of racket. It's our own game that we run to keep ourselves emotionally safe. Well, exactly. 
So, so you you mentioned uh, to me in preparation for this interview um, that you did like that 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 first relationship you had was really traumatic. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you could share, you know, like any highlights, lowlights from the relationship itself, and then was there a point where you knew it was over? Because I think that's a powerful transition as well as like when we're in something. Um, how long was that relationship? It was eight years. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. And I think people who have had longer toxic or unhealthy relationships can relate where it's, it becomes really hard to, to kind of draw a line in the sand and go, ah, this has to stop. Um, and it often at some point it does. So for you, like what was the relationship? Like, how would you summarize the relationship and what, for you was the breaking point or where you knew you had to draw a line in the sand. Hopefully that would be a value to people listening that might be in the same place. Hmm. Okay. So what, so what was the relationship about? Is, was that the first question? Yeah. Like how would you, how would you summarize, you know, it was eight years and then I'm, I'm sure there were lovely moments and yeah. lot, not lots of not so lovely moments, but like what was the relationship about for you? The relationship for me, I guess, was mostly about learning what love is and learning to love myself because I sacrificed a lot of myself. I began that relationship when I was 18, so I was very young and idealistic and, you know, it was a first deep love and that sort of, he had so much charisma and so I just really um, could hardly resist this experience, but it was, there was a lot of disappointment in the relationship for me and a lot of Um, a lot of breaking trust and trusting again. And the relationship, the end of the relationship, he actually fell into addiction. And um, this was following the loss of a couple of his best friends passing. And so that was, um, for me, it was so hard because he was in the face of great loss. You know, these people he really loved. And so with that, although the relationship was coming to a point where I was almost ready to to complete. And then with that kind of loss, I felt this sort of obligation to, again, to support him through that, which really turned into addiction, a drug addiction um, at the end of the relationship. And then again, it's like, well, I'm trying to help him. There was this part of me that wants to help to save him or to um, be that caregiver, but where there was so much sacrifice to myself and um, So it was a huge journey for me to come to that place of, you know, actually, if I leave you, that's the best way I can take care of you. Because if I stay with you, then I'm going to take care of things, right? So so that was a really hard place. And that's a bit of an extreme situation when someone comes to that. But obviously, at that stage, there wasn't a lot left for me in the relationship. But I was really in this like, dedicated to love and and really yeah wanting wanting to help and how can i leave now he's he's like really messed up but at the same time eventually i realized i'm not helping him or myself and so that was hugely empowering for me and and that was that knowing you know through our relationship of course in those relationships at that stage in your life you break up you all come back together at certain times and we'd been through that but there was one morning where i just woke up and it was like that's it. I went, I did a, a bit as specific, like I pierced this big thing through my ear as my twenties. It was like, it was like that mark of like, this is it. That was the last 
peace about that and now I'm done and then it was over. <laughs> and so, so that was like a like a piece of 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 metal or like you actually stuck something sharp through your ear? What it wasn't me. I went to get it done, but like okay. um, you know, back at that time there was these big um barbells people would wear through their cartilage. <laughs> It was like, but it was painful to get it done. And that was like, that's the last of the pain of this. And it was kind of, to me, a significant piece. And then it was, it was complete. And like, and just to bring it back to what you started earlier with, which is these kind of uh, objects of metaphor or talismans, like for you, what, like, this is what I could imagine. You can tell me whether I'm at all close to the mark here is, it's almost like having that painful thing happen is is you like facing the pain of what you know needs to happen. And then mm -hmm. that was like a metaphor for that. So like that like pulling a band-aid off, right? It's like, no, I'm just gonna do it here. Mm -hmm. And and do you feel like the decision was made or do you think there was something instrumental about the ear the like the ear piercing? I think it was um it was made that morning when I woke up. There was some little kerfuffle happening. He was um, yeah, there was a kerfuffle. He was traveling. He was a musician, so he'd be traveling a lot with that. And he was um, down in LA and that morning, something phone call we had the night before and I just woke up and that was it. So the decision was made. And then I just got ready and walked down, like walked out of my house and went and did that. It was just in, um, I, I must have thought of doing that before, but it was just um, something inside me leading me to to like mark that that right of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to mark it down. <laughs> so, you know, you, you finished, so you were 26 when that relationship ended? Yes. And, you know, since then, uh, any things that stand out as, as like big milestones or, or catharsis or, you know, big awakenings in terms of what relationship is or what it can be? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's been an unraveling since then, you know, learning, you know, um, I've had many relationships through then. I had a fairly long period of open relationships, um, having having many, many relational experiences. And so, yeah, it just led me to, you know, how can, how can I know myself the deepest through this? And, and how can my relationship support that? And now at this stage, I'm in a very committed, longer term relationship. So what stood out is really trust, right? So that, you know, that piece of trust is essential in relationship and choosing to trust and um, learning to communicate in your relationship and learning what, what are your needs? What are your values? What do you want? Are you both in this relationship with a desire for the same outcome? Right, because you can fall really in love with someone, which is probably along the way that I did. But we're both going into different places in our life, and regardless, that's essential. Or if you have different relationship needs, those are going to be essential. So I think for a long time it has been a dance of that, you know, and and learning myself through all of that, understanding myself through all of that, and under I've come to realize that at different points in my life, different sorts of relationships serve me better. You know, I'm finally coming into a place of really, yeah, really wanting um, deeper commitment in my life and in relationship. And uh, that was an evolutionary piece, you know, for me. Yeah, have you worked through the, the last two years during COVID? Like, have you been working with people throughout that time? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah. 
Yeah. How has it been? I'm super, I've done a little bit as well, but, but I kind of stepped away from a lot of my coaching and facilitation, um, uh, in ways that I thought were really good for me, but I get a lot of feedback, like people saying that, you know, the world is insane. Dating is broken. Relationships just don't make sense anymore. And I know that's only, you know, that's not the whole story and it's not all the voices out there, but you know, what is your, what, what kind of feedback do you get from the people you're working with and, and from people in the relational space? Like, how are people doing in this time? Um, well, for this time, I definitely noticed, so I haven't had nearly as many live events as before, um, but any retreats that I've held, people have just been ready and connecting deeply and thirsty and wanting humans and just high on human, you know, that's in the sort of general general vibe of uh, retreats or anything like that. And it just hasn't been practical to do the same in the same way that I had before. But working one-on-one with people, yeah, there's definitely this theme that that dating is broken. And, you know, of course, people are frustrated with not being able to meet live and then having these apps. I work a lot with couples, which really stands out because couples have been in this process of isolation. And I, there's been so many people, it's like, oh, they were dating for two or three months and the pandemic hit and then they were living together and they're still living together. So they went from this place of being, you know, checking each other out, dating, having that, you know, when you're in something new, everything is unknown. And that's where our excitement is. That's where the thrill is. So we have that, we have the chemical parts, the, the hormones, everything is going wild in the beginning. So we get that rush from being together, but we also have this like open book with every page and you, what chapter is next? And you, you don't know this, this person yet. And we went from that, just like maybe reading a couple of chapters to being on the third volume or something, because everything got so cozy so fast in the pandemic. And that's what I've worked with people the most on is, is how these couples have come together and then suddenly they're like, Where's the spark? Well, if you're together all the time and you're not having these outlets before people would have more that a friend group they're hanging out with or, you know, their hobbies that were happening outside of the home or meeting up with their girlfriends for a dance or whatever would be happening. And that was really lost in this time. And suddenly those outside resources didn't exist. And it was all about this unit. And we know in any relationship, for a relationship, I would say to thrive, we need more than that unit. We need the sort of outer circle of that flower so the inner part of the circle can burst forth. Yeah, so that, that's been the hardest part of the pandemic, I think, is people just, you know, it, in, what's interesting is it's a survival mode. So basically in survival mode, the fight or flight has gotten activated. And a lot of people in the pandemic are le- leaving in either fight or flight but what's happened is a lot of people then will react in hyperarousal or hypoarousal, right? So hyperarousal is like, oh my God, if I'm going to die, I have to like create lots of babies and leave my thing. <laughs> and hypoarousal is like, oh, I just got to stay safe and, and pull back, right? And if that is within a couple, sometimes there's been two hyperaroused people living together, so it's worked out well. But if the if they're both going through the fight or flight in that hypo arousal and getting cozy and getting comfy and there's not a lot of juice flowing, mm-hmm. there can be a beautiful relationship, there can be a beautiful friendship and companionship and really knowing each other deeply. But that juice 
isn't really flowing. And that's happened a lot. And then what's your advice or your approach for people? I think a lot, not just with the pandemic, a lot of people can relate to the spark kind of dimming or, or the, you know, the fire going out in their relationship. And I think in some ways that's just a natural trajectory. Like it's not going to be electric and, and, and potent in the way that it can be at the very, very beginning, but we can cultivate other levels and other dimensions of fire and passion that, that might look and feel a bit different, but, but have more depth, they have more breadth to them. So how do you support people that are in that place where they're, they're looking at the relationship and thinking, well, is this it? Like, or <laughs> where did it go? How do you work with people? So a big key is coming back to yourself. In Tantra, we'll always say it's to feel yourself and then feel the other. And there's a tendency in that like, oh, they're looking to their partner for that pleasure or I want to please or be pleased by them. But if we can come back to ourself and really work to know what your own pleasure is, to be able to communicate that with your partner. I work with people who have been married for 20 years and we'll do some exercises and they'll realize, wow, I didn't even know that about my partner. I didn't know that's the way they really like to be touched. Because we tend to take what we can get right? It's like, okay, that feels pretty good. I'll enjoy that. But when we go deeper into it, we can learn ourselves what we like and be able to communicate that. And also just to be able to bring more joy and aliveness through our body. Because if we're feeling a bit like a dead fish and we come to our partner, that's not going to work out so well. So we need to sort of take care of ourselves. And that can be through movement and through pleasure with ourselves. It can also be through going and like meeting up with some friends and creating energy and aliveness together or, you know, creating some music or whatever it is that's bringing you alive. So having something outside, as I was saying a bit before, having something outside of the two of you that can have that aliveness and can bring it back. That's going to be a big key to it. And connecting so deeply with yourself, you can come, come from that place. Because your partner is really holding space for your experience. They're not just giving you that experience. Ideally. That's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and in this last two years, I mean, those those two main pieces that you just shared haven't been easy. You know, if if you you can't go anywhere, you can't be with anyone, you can't do anything, you got yourself and whoever you live with. I think what's been amazing for me is that I also have, you know, I have a pretty diverse social network and, and some people have like transformed their lives. Like the stuff they've been struggling with for 10 or 15, 20 years, they got to it because the, the space got opened up for them. So I can see that, you know, two things operate for me in relation to that. I think for some people, this has been a, a blessing, like legitimately in terms of their maybe their addiction to busyness or being out or, you know, being, having their life be so full of stuff, uh, things to do, people to see, um, that this time has, has been a, a godsend for them to, to really tune in and to really clear out and to have the bandwidth and time to do so, you know, with, even with the government support, whatever you want to say about it or how you feel about it. For some people, it was like the first time in, in a decade that they had more than a day or two to like slow down and really consider themselves and consider their lives. So some people really took advantage. For a lot of people, it's felt stifling and and, and kind of compoundingly so as the weeks and months go by. 
So like from a, other than the pieces you talked about in terms of like reconnecting with yourself and then having external outlets that you can kind of pour into and connect into from a somatic perspective, like what are some of the things that you would support people into to maybe access the inherent energy and resources and healing capacity of their body from that perspective? So in partnership, they could just really connect and breathe together, regulate, co-regulate their bodies together, and really even just holding each other, having your bellies touching. That energy of the bellies is very potent. And then breathing like this. So in a somatic way, this is a really great process. As well, dancing and moving the body, just in whatever way it really wants to move, is going to be a really great practice. If you're solo, you can even dance with a tree outside. <laughs> and you can breathe with that tree and connect your belly to that tree. Because nature is the big piece that I think is the other one that's helped us a lot through this time when people aren't able to do much. It's really connecting back to nature. So if you're solo, you can have that sort of somatic experience with the aliveness of even a tree or, you know, get a little eco-sexual and get connected to that river and that place. So just moving the body and breathing and having that awareness also to bring a little more sound. As soon as we start to activate that breath and that movement and that sound, right there we're tapping into the juice of our aliveness and we can get our sexual energy moving through us, which will bring us a lot more nourishment and we're going to feel way more charged up. You'll find even just doing five minutes of a practice, any sort of practice like that can bring you a lot more. Yeah, the one, the couple that that come to me as you're speaking that that I think are lovely kind of additions to what you just said is um, one thing that me and my partner are really good at is laughter. Like mm -hmm. like we we play, we we bring levity and lightness, and we laugh a lot. And um, I, I think there's a particular. It's not a talent really, but it's. It's a particular contextual commitment to to not decide that things are just doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. and And I think one of the challenges is this was the other thing I was going to share is how much time are we spending on social media? How much time are we spending interacting with digital spaces and yeah. and you know, like now my business both both of my businesses are basically centered around digital environments. But but to me, um, there are very few people that can engage those environments in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're designed to to hijack and 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 exploit the 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 base of human psychology. So I think for us to, yeah, those two additions I think are good. Like how can I manage and or limit my engagement with social media and especially the kind of like the discourse and the political kind of mumbo jumbo that happens there. Um, it's not, it's, I haven't seen much good come out of that. And then how do we create more of a context where it's not a bypass. I, I, I'm, I'm the last person to advocate using anything as a way to kind of avoid anything. But but we can include that life has darkness and light um, without lying to ourselves. And and that lightness for me is it's it's like nectar it just it, it feeds the heart it feeds the body it it uh, tunes us back into con like uh, perspective so yeah I, I um i don't have specific laughter practices but i i find i'm fortunate enough that that i i, I know that life has a sense of humor and then i'm consistently plugged into it 
Mm-hmm. It's essential for us to laugh, right? To laugh through this. We have to have the humor. And laughter connects us to our fire center, to our Manipura chakra. So it helps us to activate that sense of power. And I think what is happening in the world is everyone's feeling a little disempowered with not knowing what's going on and where are we headed. So when we can connect even to laughter, we can bring our internal fire and our internal power up. And the social media, it's essential, right? If you're sitting with your partner and they're on the couch with their media and you're on the couch with their media, maybe I'd suggest just putting your phones down. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have a sense of just where it might go? Like I was just thinking about how in, in, in world during World War One, like obviously there was just a, a staggering amount of of difficulty and and uh, contextual uncertainty and, and societal uncertainty, and then there was the Roaring Twenties, and then after the Second World War, you know, we had the '60s and the Free Love Movement. Do you have a sense of of what might be coming? You know, like I I, I don't know, but like but you, what you alluded to around people just feeling so hungry and ready to just soak up the humanness that's there in these live events. Um, do you think we have you know a decade of of that kind of rebound from from the last couple of years or yeah what do you, what's your sense of that i really hope so i think that would be amazing i think we all have a greater appreciation for life mm. so i think all those things that we took advantage of you know i look back at my life and i lived on some of the freest time on this planet and i've done it really well and i appreciate that but i think we could definitely have a lot of celebration I do see, though, that I think that there's so many communities that are starting and people are coming more to a time of leaving into their own communities all over the globe, eco-communities that are sustainable. So I'm curious how how that will be. But I think there will need to be gatherings of tribes and people coming together and really living because it's like we're all, we're all waiting to... Um, to yeah come out and connect and to love and i think every time we've gone we go into an extreme as you've mentioned through history we come out roaring and playing and loving and enjoying so i hope so i i can't envision it i you know probably a year into it it's like oh when this is comes out we're going to be dancing in the streets and it's going to be wild and people are saying there's going to be orgies everywhere and it's going to be then so many babies and then so many, you know, but now it's like, we're so much farther into it. It's hard to, it's hard to see what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder, I'm always looking at things through different lenses, but in particular, like the lens of trauma, when it comes to what's been going on, I, the, the word that keeps coming up for me is trust. You know, I think there's been a significant uh, marring and 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 sort of distorting of of our trust, trust in authority, trust in other people. Oh, I thought I could trust you, and like the way people have treated each other across different ideological kind of divides, and and I I see there being a significant amount of repair to do after the last couple of years, and and I wonder whether we'll do the work. You know, I, I I'm unclear about that. If we do, I think I think we do have some really rich, juicy years ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, I I don't have a clear sense of where we go because that underlying mistrust will keep will keep flowing to the surface and keep kind of interfering with how relationships really can be. Mm-hmm. 
But I think we're in a time where people are more willing to do the work. You know, compared to a generation before, now so many people are dedicated and, you know, even in more of a mainstream culture, we'll see people who are really ready and willing to it. And families have been torn apart. So much has been torn apart. And that is going to call for repair. And so there could be a lot of stubbornness and people might not take that path. But I really hope that we can come back to a greater love through all of this. And it's going to be, there's going to be effects like children who have, you know, experienced through masks. That's our social engagement system. So that's where we get all of our messages. Our yes. brain is wired to see these messages of like, I am safe and I can trust. And now we're reading the eyes so much more. And so, um, yeah, I'm concerned for children who have grown up in this way. So hopefully we can come back to a much more human experience of, of life and of repair. Good thing we have our bodies yeah. to tune into. It's all, here. <laughs> it's all here. Yeah, amazing. Well, you know, is there anything for you as we come to the end of the conversation? Anything else that you wanted to share or, or speak to uh, before we call it a day? I feel complete. I feel yeah. I feel really happy to end up connected today with you and with this chat and. Yeah, and I yeah I have hope for humanity. I think we're you know we're thick deep in the Kali Yuga right now. So I think you know on the flip side of it, we don't know how long, but you know golden times await us. So lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I always appreciate connecting. Uh, mm -hmm. For people that enjoyed the conversation and would like more, Krista, uh, where can they find you? And and yeah, what what can they expect when they reach out? Sure, they could find me at my website, kristanova.com, or on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Kristanova Tantra. And yeah, they can expect a warm welcome when they reach out. And I'm here to support your questions and be of service in a way that I can. Awesome. Krista, thank you for being here. For those that tuned in, thank you for being here. We look forward to sharing more. And until then, be really well. All the best. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by RelationFlix. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflix.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well. <laughs>